The rest of you, let me invite you to open your Bibles, if you brought one with you, to Exodus chapter 20. As we continue our uh, look into the Ten Commandments, we'll finish that up today, focusing on Sabbath. I uh, read a book this, uh, part of a book this week, in which a prominent businessman uh, talks about this time where he went into um, the airport before flight and was browsing, you know, one of those little Hudson News uh, bookstore things, and he found this book called The One Minute Bedtime Story. And in his elation and because of his busyness, he decides that he's going to take this one-minute bedtime story and he's going to purchase it and it's going to revolutionize um, the time efficiency of putting his kids to bed every night. So he buys it and he's thumbing through it and he comes to this realization, really this almost conviction that, you know, what am I doing? I'm trying to apply time management uh, business principles on my kids who just want their dad to love them. And out of that, he writes this book called In Praise of Slowness. And there is a, um, there is a kind of a new effort, even in the secular world, the people who aren't Christians, who are trying to return to this idea of a secular Sabbath. But this idea of Sabbath is not new to the secular world. It didn't originate with them, maybe I should say. But this is God's idea. Let's look at it in the passage in uh, Exodus chapter 20. This is not on your screen, but I'm going to start in verse 1 to give you context, and then we're going to uh, jump over to uh, verse 8 that talks about the Sabbath. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. He lists those first three commandments. You should have no other gods. You should not make for yourself a carved image or anything like it. You shall not take the name of the, uh, of the Lord your God in vain. Again, um, uh, almost he covered those the first couple, uh, those first three or four, uh, the two weeks ago. We looked at kind of the last six last week, and then they all kind of hinge on this idea, starting in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh is a day of Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or female servant, your livestock or the sojourner that's within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that's in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. The Sabbath is one of those commands. It's interesting that it's not mentioned, it's not reiterated in the New Testament. It's the only one that's not taken to either the next level or pointed back to in the New Testament. And that's because of the work of Jesus, and we're going to get to that. It's also unique that it's the only one that began with creation. This wasn't the first time the people of God had heard this idea about keeping a Sabbath. As a matter of fact, if you look way back to the creation narrative, a Sabbath uh, was originated by God as he created. A man, certainly God that needs no rest, 
creates everything and then he rests. And so man's first day on the earth is a day of rest. And this rhythm was created and woven into mankind. The command here specifically tells us that we should remember it and keep it. This would be possibly the greatest countercultural thing God would ask his people to do. It was one of the greatest gifts that God would give his people, ultimately a gift for our souls. Think about this. If your life is marked by rest and abundance and joyfulness, joy and peace, you stand in stark contrast to the rest of our world. What is our world mostly marked by? It's marked by busyness and burnout and exhaustion and frustration, dryness. And let me say this, just as the Old Testament, just imagine this in in the Old Testament of these people who are mostly in an agrarian culture. One where you were hunting and gathering and it took everything that you had seven days a week just to be able to eat. And God comes in and said, hey, listen, my people, remember we talked last week, the ecclesia, the called out nature of just the church itself, that we would live in stark contrast to the rest of the world based upon one of, this is one of the principles that one day a week that we would honor the Lord, we would set an entire day unto the Lord and we would do no work. Imagine if you were visiting through the town of God's people of that day and you were used to feverishly working and trying to work so you can get ahead, trying to work so that your family might eat, trying to gather, gather, gather all you can, and yet this is in stark contrast to the, just the natural instinct of the rest of the world of working, working, working as God's people who says, you know what, today is a day of celebration. It's a day of honoring God. It's a day of feasting in which they did no work. And trying to reason, well, how do you know that you're not going to go hungry? Because we trust God. I said that a couple weeks ago, that the Ten Commandments ultimately is about your trust in a sovereign God. Because all of the Ten Commandments about worshiping, not worshiping things we see, we, we would much rather worship something that we could touch, a graven image and instead of something that we cannot All the ones from last week about not stealing and adultery, all those are counterintuitive to our sinful, broken nature. And God is saying, listen, not only is he giving us boundaries, but this is an invitation to trust him. He tells us to remember it and keep it. He tells us it's to be a Sabbath unto the Lord, rest to the Lord. Even if you don't think you need it, you need to rest. Listen, church, Jesus is not glorified or seen beautiful or even desirable if his followers are always exhausted, stressed, worn out, depleted in the same way of the world. When's the last time someone even, you know, it would be so weird to go up and say, man, how are you doing? You say, man, things are just phenomenal. I've got so much margin built in my life. This is just a time of refreshing. I'm just hearing from the Lord every day. No, that's not what we normally hear. What do we hear? We hear, man, I'm just overwhelmed, stressed out, burdened. My first point about Sabbath is that Sabbath is a gift from God for our souls. The text goes on to say that God blessed the Sabbath. He put his special favor on that day. 
so that it's loaded with blessings for those that will befriend it. I think of what God says to Abraham, that I will bless you and that you will be a blessing to the nations. When God blesses something, he loads that thing with a great capacity to bless and enrich the lives of others. This day, this Sabbath day especially, it has a special blessing of God upon it. For all who will honor it and befriend it, it will enrich and bless their lives. Yet most people I know don't Sabbath. They don't even know what Sabbath means. Well, isn't Sabbath supposed to be Saturday and now it's Sunday and kind of where is all this? Does that mean we can't play baseball on Sunday? Does it mean we can't cut the grass? Listen, take a deep breath. Sabbath just means to rest. It means to cease. To spend a little more time with the Father. To disconnect. To spend time not having to create or be productive. To take a nap. To go on a picnic with your family. To put your phone away. Again, most of us are terrible at this, namely me. I feel like Paul, like I am the chief sinner among you. This is, this is something I have to wrestle with all the time. Most of us wait until we're burned out, stressed out, having anxiety and panic attacks brought on by stress until we think, man, something's not right here. And mostly it's because we have no margins built in our lives. Our identity is so frail that one day not producing means that we might be a failure. Have you noticed this? If you miss a call, you apologize to someone else for actually missing that call. There's something innate within us where we think that we have to be on and available all the time. Busyness has become toxic to our souls. And busyness is actually the enemy of depth. Look at us at restaurants, on smartphones. It takes so much discipline even to learn how to rest, to stop for a moment. The busier we get, the less capacity we have for depth with anyone. We get a mile wide and an inch deep. And because there's no margin, that we have, we have no room in our life to actually do life with other people. Think about your own life. When you're at the very edge, when you're almost burnt out and you have given everything you have mentally and spiritually and emotionally, you're on the very edge. Just one little thing sets you off. But that's not the life the Christian was called to live, that we were to have such. The thing that's supposed to mark our life is peace and joy and love. When you see a Christian, Jesus would tell his disciples that the thing that should mark our life is this outpouring of love for each other, this joy unspeakable and full of glory, and this peace that surpasses any understanding. Jesus said that, the thief is the one that comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you would have life and have it abundantly. And Jesus was not giving just a pep talk. He was saying that that should be the nature of our lives, abundant lives. It doesn't mean it's free from burden. It doesn't mean it's free from dealing with the world, but that we have this inner peace, this river of life within us that's causing us to walk even through extremely difficult times with peace and joy and love. The danger here is that most of us don't know we're too busy and too, or, and too tired until we do something really stupid. John Eldridge in his book, Waking the Dead, that I would encourage you to read. It's a book that I read every year. He says, the strategy of the enemy in the age we live now is busyness or drivenness. Ask the people you know how things are going. Nine out of ten times, the answer will be somehow to the effect of being busy. The deadly scheme is this, he says, keep them running. That way they'll never take care of their hearts. 
will burn them out and take them out. Does that resonate on any level with you? When's the last time you really rested, spent time disconnected? Is there a time when your friends know that you're unavailable? You have margins built into your life, into your time, your schedule, your bank accounts, the way you use your money, margins built into your, your relationships that you can respond when God is calling you to do something. You think about the life of Jesus, <clears throat> the Savior of the world, who fits his entire ministry to the world in a three-year window. And yet, what do we see him doing? Taking Sabbath, honoring the Sabbath, breaking away early in the day to be uh, alone, spending time just to the disciples, saying no to lines of crowds that had gathered before him to heal, that he actually walked away from people with legitimate needs because he knew this was true of him. It's the way that God ordained us to live, and it should be true of us. Sabbath is a gift of God for our souls. When we look at the Old Testament penalty, we don't have time to do all of that today, but the penalty for not taking the Sabbath was pretty serious. The creative order of God is rest and work. This is something I noticed when I studied this time. And I had never seen this before in the creation narrative that God worked for six days creating, although he did need rest, he rested on the seventh. And then the first day, right, of, of, of Adam and Eve's day was resting first, their first day, and then working. But not just even in the week, but even in their day. If you look back at the creation narrative, it said, and there's evening and then morning the first day. That our day actually starts in the evening. And we rest before we do any work. We go to bed and we rest, not to get a jump start on things, but God's saying, listen, the way I've made you, the way I've wired you, the, way, the, 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 the thing that's innate about you that you might not even know yourself, that we've got to shift our thinking that we rest first and then work from that rest you think about why would God create day and night why isn't this 24 hour days why is there a circadian rhythm because God creator and sustainer of life wired us to live in the balance of work and rest and every night that we go to bed it's a reminder to us that we don't always have to be on and when we wake up every morning, God in his faithfulness again does all of the supernatural things he does, and the sun comes up again. There's never been a day in my life where I woke up the next day and the sun had not come up again, or that I had to worry about the gravitational balance of the world. Just going to bed, and, and it just reaffirms in my own heart and my own soul that God is in control, that he's got everything under his authority He's in control of all these things. Think about the idea of a week. Where did we get that idea of a week? We get months from the lunar cycle, and we get seasons from the earth rotational cycle. I get all that. But what about the week? We get it from the creation account. That we would work six days and rest, or rest the first and then work the next six. A couple hundred years ago, France wanted to de-Christianize this idea of the week in order to help uh, their people be more productive. They wanted to change it from seven days in a week to ten days, where they would work nine and then rest one. And they thought this would revolutionize, right, their industrial age, that they would be able to produce more than any other country. But the experiment failed miserably. Suicide rates skyrocketed. People burned out. The society as a whole actually became less productive. 
turns out God was onto something. We're not made to work nine days. We're made to rest the first and then work the next six. Daniel Darnell says this, American Christians, especially those in ministry, have forsaken the command to rest and it's slowly killing us. Those are strong words, aren't they? Killing us. I believe he's on to something for sure that we live in a busy, exhausted, no margin, lack of abundant life that God really wants for his people for us again to have peace and joy and flourishing. God has commanded that rest be woven into the rhythms of our lives. He calls this rest, this weekly rest, this idea of Sabbath. Again, pastor, does that mean I can't go shopping? Does it mean I can't cut the grass? No, listen, you're looking at it the same way the religious people did, and you'll see that Jesus interacted so much uh, with them on the Sabbath day. They literally followed him around to see if he would break the Sabbath. We've got to learn what it means to rest and to trust God. He's given us a commandment to rest, to take some time not to produce, to set aside the tyranny of the urgent and to trust him. It's a day set aside. It's consecrated for a special purpose, sanctified time, time set apart. It's time that is to be treated differently than any other time. The Greeks had two words for time. You've heard this probably before, chronos and kairos. Chronos is time as a measurement, time ticking away, time marching on. It's where we get the word chronology from. This kind of time always pressing upon us, breathing down our neck, making demands of us in one way or another that we all seem to be serving time, one author said. Chronos consumes our lives. It whittles us down. It makes us gray and slow. It eats away at us. What's the first thing you do when you wake up? You check the clock or the alarm clock. Chronos of time, it's always ticking. But the Greeks had another word for time, and that word was kairos. Kairos was different. It was a special season of time. It was a unique moment, a time that was meaningful, time set apart. It's what we refer to when we say, I had a, I had a good time. Or that time in my life was very meaningful. Chronos is as time as demand. Kairos, time as an opportunity. Kronos always chipping away at our lives. Kairos always restoring our lives, facilitating life. Kronos has duty written all over it. Kairos has delight written all over it. And Sabbath is Kairos, special, sacred, set apart time. We need and are commanded to have sanctified, set apart, consecrated time. A day out of every seven. Sundown to sundown. But you may ask, but didn't that change with Jesus? Well, it did in a way. Not our need to rest. That was before sin. Our need to rest, again, was in the creation narrative. It was a gift that God gave to our souls. But the duty of the specific day did pass away with Jesus. The early church began to observe the Lord's Day on Sunday. But again, the exact day is not the key. Not the key. I do think the Lord's Day is the best day to do it, but for some of us, the Lord's Day is the day that I do most of my work. So I've had to learn the Sabbath from Saturday at 5, and, I mean from uh, Friday at 5 p.m. to Saturday at 5 p.m. And if I can get a nap on Sunday afternoons, I will do it. The early church again began to observe Saturday and Sunday. 
And when those that came over um, from England to start America, that they adopted both of those days, that we would, we would have a five-day work week and we would take off Saturday to manage the things of our home and then Sunday at Sabbath, a day to rest. B.B. Warfield said it this way, Christ took Sabbath into the grave with him and brought the Lord's day out of the grave with him on that resurrection morning. My second point is that Sabbath orients us toward God. And man, do we need this. It orients us toward God. We shouldn't look at this day as bondage or misery. Hey, you can't go play on this day. But it's a day devoted to rest and contemplation and things spiritual and relational. It's a day tenaciously directed Godward. A day where we acknowledge that God is God and has the right to order our days and our weeks and our lives. On Sabbath, we give attention in a more focused and sustained way to the things of our soul, to how our heart is feeling. For six days, our, our attention is divvied up into so many things that claim our minds and our hearts. But this day is different. It's a day to recalibrate. It's an invitation Godward. It points us back toward God, where we give the best of our hearts and minds to Him, where we intentionally pause and carve out extended time to listen to God, getting quiet enough to experience Him gently press upon our thoughts and our perceptions and speak to us. Church, when is the last time that you heard God speak to you? Maybe not in an audible voice, but in the quietness of a moment, His words jumping off the words of Scripture. Maybe it was some truth shared by a friend as they were praying for you and God gave this, them this impression that they would do that. I got a few texts even this morning of you praying for me, and I, I appreciate every one of those that is sent to me. And I thank God as I get the text. God, thank you for bringing my name up to someone else who's listening to you that they might respond in prayer even for me. When's the last time you heard God speak to you to nudge your heart, to bring peace in the midst of chaos, to bring joy in the midst of sorrow, to bring abundance in the midst of a season of dryness. This is what Jesus was trying to get to his disciples in John 15, where he just reiterated again and again, remain in me, remain, abide in me, abide in me. Sabbath nurtures stillness and increases your capacity for hearing and experiencing God. Mark Buchanan in his book, Rest of God, which I really encourage you to read too. This is what he says, some knowing is never pursued, it's only received. And for that you need to be still. Sabbath is both a, both a day and an attitude to nurture such stillness. There are rooms in the heart of God that you have never walked into because you never stopped to listen. And the psalmist command in Psalms 46 to be still and know that he's God. Just to be still. This might be unconventional. What I'd like to do is give you the next 30 seconds in stillness and quiet. And would you just ask the God of the Bible, God of the universe, to speak to your heart in this moment of stillness?
It's amazing how long 30 seconds lasts, is it not? The first time I did this, I tried to do five minutes just this last week, and I thought I was going to go crazy. Five minutes of silence, just listening for the Lord, not talking, just listening for his voice. Do you see where culture has enwrapped us with its ideals, that we serve the God of work and production, that we have to work, that, that one, of the, uh, one of the virtues that we pursue in America is efficiency, that we want to be as efficient as possible, and we want to work and work and work, and yet sometimes at the end of that, we're, we're crazy efficient, but we're not very effective. As you observe Sabbath, you pray and read scripture, maybe some Christ-exalting devotional book. You take a prayer walk somewhere. You sit in solitude and silence. You drop into the sanctuary of a beautiful church. You sit in nature. You have a conversation with a trusted friend. You do these kind of things that restore your soul. And we should make that not something that happens once a month or once every few months or when we feel the thermostat on our life getting getting too high but that we would do it even when we didn't think we needed it it would be a rhythm of our life my last point before I give some application is that we should is that Sabbath orients us it's a gift for our souls it points us reorients us towards God and then finally it reorients us toward grace there's a big difference between having a Sabbath day and having a Sabbath heart. This is what Jesus had so many encounters with the religious elite in the day, that they honored the Sabbath day. And they made up all kind of other rules so that they could determine who was actually honoring the Sabbath day. So many steps that you could take on the Sabbath day. As a matter of fact, the real estate around the temple, because you could only walk so far on the Sabbath day, was a lot higher than just 10 feet past those steps. You could only take so many steps, so everyone wanted to live right around the temple so that they could get there on the Sabbath day. And although it was legal to do good on the Sabbath, you could only do some things. Like I was reading this week that you couldn't reset a broken bone on the Sabbath day. So you jacked your arm up, it needs to be reset, sorry bud, it's the Sabbath you're going to have to suffer, right, until the next day. They didn't understand how all of it worked. They looked at it more as a duty than delight. And then Jesus came to remind us that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And listen, this is not just about relaxing. Our culture knows how to relax, but not to renew, not to restore. Binge-watching Netflix and getting food delivered to your door for a whole day a week, it's pretty relaxing. It doesn't restore your soul. It just medicates your mediocrity. We've got to physically rest, yes, but Sabbath is way more than that. It's slowing down to remember your identity, that God is not pleased with just the amount of work that you produce, even work for Him, that your identity is in Him, that you are trusting Him, and we glorify Him most when we trust Him. Again, in Mark 2, Jesus said the Sabbath was, not, was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That's all we really need to know. Jesus says it's a gift for you to enjoy, 
not a burden for you to be dominated by. It's something I give you because I love you and I care about you and I want you to live this abundant life. The Sabbath day doesn't rule over us. It's given to us as a gift. And so, and this is what Jesus is getting at about not just having a Sabbath day, but having a Sabbath heart. You can take a Sabbath day and not enjoy it if you don't have a Sabbath heart. How many of you have forced yourself to take a day where you didn't check your email all day? But your heart was not attuned to God. You weren't listening to his voice. It was sheer discipline and will that got you through that day. That's not what restores your soul. Jesus brings great clarity to us about the Sabbath as it being a gift. And he wants us to fight for it in our schedules. Because ultimately it reorients us towards the most important things. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does that seem to identify your souls today? Do you feel like your soul is restful? One of the reasons it's so hard for us to Sabbath is because we wrap so much of our identity up in what we do and what we accomplish. It's one of the first questions you'll be asked when you meet new people. So what is it that you do? Where do you work? And so we tend to get a lot of our identity from that and what we do and what, how we work and when's the last time we've been promoted and who's been acknowledging me and how hard I'm working. But God says, listen, I don't love you because of what you work, what you do, what you accomplish. At the end of the day, I'm not proud of you for all the work you do, even ministry you do. I'm proud of you because you're my son. I'm proud of you because you're my daughter. I'm proud of you because you're in my family, because you're in Jesus, and Jesus is our access to being part of God's family. Sabbath orients us towards grace. I can rest from my work because my value and significance and accomplishment and worth and meaning and identity is not rooted in what I do or accomplish, but what God has done to save me. Sabbath reorients us to grace because it reminds us that we are something, not because of our work, but, but because of the work of Christ. When you rest, you're remembering grace. This is why we say that Sabbath ultimately points us to Jesus. The rest that he brings us. Hebrews talks about. Jesus is our Sabbath. Our rest from working to earn God's favor and establish our identity. Resting in Jesus ultimately leads to more fruitfulness. That you'll get done more in six days than you would have in seven if you remember the Sabbath as unto the Lord. Let me give you a few points of application as we kind of bring this thing to a close. These are some three ways that I try to do this every day, and you might come up with something else, and I didn't get these. I read these from someone else years ago. But the first is to divert daily. Just take time every day to press into God, to steal your heart long enough 
to see what he's saying to you, to get in the word, to memorize scripture, to eat breakfast with your kids, something to still your heart, remind you of the most important things today are not the things necessarily on your to-do list. This is what we see in the life of Jesus so much. Have you ever noticed that almost all the ministry he did was on his way somewhere else? He was on his way, had margin built into his life, again, the savior of the, of the world, and he's on a you know, ticking time clock. He only had three years to do it, yet he had time to heal the woman with the issue of blood. He had time to go with the leaders and Jairus' daughter. He, he had time to spend, to teach thousands and then feed them and hang out with them. He had time for the disciples to go to a party. He just had time built into his schedule. We've got to divert daily. I'd encourage you to do this with morning and evening practice. To get up five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minutes early. To spend time with him. To have a follow our Bible reading plan if that works for you. And if it doesn't, don't follow it. This is not some kind of something we're forcing. This is just a tool to use. Do whatever you got to do to hear from the voice of God. To be encouraged by God. Maybe it's a podcast on your way to work maybe it's sitting in silence maybe it's listening to worship music or a conversation with your spouse or praying over each other what an incredible practice to divert daily to withdraw weekly this is what we're talking about on a weekly sabbath again doesn't have to be on saturday doesn't have to be on sunday although i think sunday is best because Sabbath is not just a personal, private thing, but something to be done in community. But you say, but I serve in kids on Sunday. That's not restful. Hey, it's okay. Jesus said it's not unlawful to do good on the Sabbath. Let keeping the Sabbath, part of it being showing kindness to the people of God who don't know them, to loving on these little kids. Whatever you do, you, though, you do have to plan it. This is kind of the idea. If you looked at the Jewish culture, that they would work really hard for six days. And the day before the Sabbath, they would prepare the food and they would put themselves in a place where they didn't have to do, you know, always beyond that they could literally honor the Sabbath. You got to plan it. Then you got to prepare for it. Again, to cook the food the night before or whatever it is, an extra load of laundry the day before. In his book, The Rest of God, Mark Buchanan offers some great insight into this practicing the Sabbath. I love this one part of it. I'm not going to go into all the details. He said, the first orientation for good Sabbath keeping is to practice mostly through thankfulness the presence of God until you're utterly convinced of his goodness and sovereignty, until he's bigger and you find your rest in him alone. Is that not great? Is that not what the psalmist says, that we enter, right, into the, into the courts of praise through thanksgiving? And it all begins with a thankful heart and us being still enough and so thankful for what he's done for us through the person of Christ, how he loved us when we were at our worst and unlovely, how he took the first step of initiation to redeeming us and restoring us. We can just think about that. And it should well up within our heart this idea of being so thankful for all that he's done. And it's hard to be proud and thankful at the same time. And then we just got to learn to practice it. Sometimes just trying not to blow it on the Sabbath makes Sabbath work. Right? It's not to be a burden, but a blessing. 
There's a science and an art to it. But this is the God of the universe who created you. Who sovereignly oversees all things. Colossians says that at this very moment that he is, whole, he is upholding all things with the word of his power. Meaning that if Jesus forgot to think of us for one second today, we would all just vanish. Right? He upholds all things with the word of his power. And he is giving us, he's inviting us to a way of abundant life by saying, listen, rest. Turn off the phone. Be unavailable. It's okay if your yard gets a little high or the laundry piles up. We'll get to it. It's okay if your kids just eat cereal today. Right? It's going to be okay. This is a Sabbath unto the Lord that we are to remember and to keep. How do we learn to do that? Let me give you one recommendation. Marva Dawn wrote a book on practicing the Sabbath. And in it, she identifies four different areas. Ceasing, resting, embracing, and feasting. And although I don't agree with everything in the book, but I love those, those, those four areas of ceasing, stopping work, trusting him, practicing the sovereignty of God, resting, Rest doesn't happen on accident. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual rest takes initiation. It takes work. The movement from ceasing to resting is the movement, she says, from idolatry to faith. Embracing where God has you in life and his plan. And then celebrating with feasting. Feasting in a good relationship having a good meal with someone. There's no mistake that all of this thing is going to come to a culmination at the return of Christ with the marriage supper of the Lamb, that there's going to be an actual feast. Then thirdly is to abandon annually. Find some things that bring you rest, to recalibrate you, to recreate you, that would help reorient you, and go and do those things for a couple days. And I know this is hard, and it certainly has to be planned out. And you say, but I, what about Luke? I got little kids, and no matter what I do, like stopping a whole day and you know, not, you know, not, not engaging in my phone or stuff is, just seems exhausting. What am I going to do with my kids all day? You're going to have to find something that works for you. And, Maybe you and your spouse don't, don't uh, Sabbath on the same day. I'm not sure how it all works out, but I know that God promised that he would bring blessing if you fight for that time. Have you ever noticed that Jesus loved to bring restoration on the Sabbath? So many of the people he healed back to wholeness was on the Sabbath. The man with the withered hand, the woman with the bent back, the man paralyzed for 38 years. He not only heals their physical ailments, but he restores their livelihoods. Restoration altered not just their health, but their whole lives. He liberates them and sets them free. And in keeping the Sabbath, we give God the same chance to show us such kindness to us and the sickness of our souls to restore us and liberate us from the chains that bind us. Would you give God the freedom to do that in your own life, the space, the time, to be still and know that he's God? 
of the gifts he gave us as the early church would gather on the Lord's Day is they would take, they would share in a meal together. And their meals were much more lavish than what, what we've provided you today, unless God multiplies the pita bread in that basket somehow. But that we would be reminded every day that it's not all up to us. And then we gather and we would sing from hearts of thankfulness and we would participate in this ordinance of the Lord's Supper or communion. And we would take of the bread and dip it into the drink and partake and be reminded that we are not our own saviors. And God has not sent us here to save the world. God's doing a fine job of that. He's inviting us into his redemptive story. And we get to pause for a moment and celebrate such things. I'm going to pray for us. We're going to sing a few songs here in a minute. I pray that you would sing them through contemplation with hearts of thankfulness. But even before that, I'm going to invite you to take communion with us. And as you do it, that you would remember how incredibly marvelous the love of God is. Does Paul say that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God? There's no height or depth. There's no sin or sickness. God, I thank you for your love for us, shown most glaringly to us through your sending Jesus to die for us. And Jesus, we thank you for giving up the glory of heaven, wrapping yourself in flesh, that you would walk this earth with us, to be with us, to encounter temptation just as we do, yet you would honor God through every bit of it, your Father, ultimately dying on the cross. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you've come to reside within us, for every believer in this room that you've set up shop in our own lives. You're praying on our behalf, things that we don't know we ought to pray. You're convicting of sin. You're bringing comfort to weary souls. And we ask that you'd forgive us for our inability to follow this command of Sabbath. Again, not on the day, but that we would set a chunk of time in our week it would be yours. It would be unto you. And Lord, that it would bring, it would recreate us in such a way that the watching world would see us and notice not just the rules that we keep that are different, but that we have life, abundant life oozing. As we take communion today, God, remind us of your love for us once again. And then send us out as we seek to share this with others. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.